Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers. I'm Dustin Walters, and I'm joined today by Ben Campbell. So good to be back here on the show. Ben, uh, great to connect with you today. We miss our colleagues, but we're super thankful uh, to have kind of a throwback to the old days, uh, to where when it was just just us two for a while. Yeah, I know it. It's uh it's kind of hard to get everybody together at the same time, uh, just because, you know, when you got five guys recording, it's sometimes hard to get everybody's schedule lined up. So, but the beauty of, of what we do is that we don't have to have everybody here all the time. Absolutely. And we, we are so thankful for our listeners and just continuing to support and even reading on the blog and just the consistency Uh, We hope you guys have been encouraged and blessed just by having more consistent content. And so anyway, we are excited today. Ben, you want to introduce our topic for today, which is for Lindsay and Friday out of for Lindsay and Friday out of order, but still for Lindsay and Friday. (laughs) We are out of order because last week we re uh, we introduced a, a special episode for the Reformation. And so, um, what we're doing this week is we're just taking last week's for Lindsay and Friday and airing it this week. Um, but we are continuing in chapter two of biblical ethics, where we're continuing to talk about the theological foundation for ethics. In uh, the first chapter, we really honed in on the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man and how man is for a lack of, if we're going to go terminology here, I'm going to use these terms. Man would be an unethical being, God being an ethical being, if that makes sense. God is the source of all ethics because he is the source of right and wrong, and he's the source of truth. But chapter two uh, is going to demonstrate the relationship between sin and redemptions. But chapter two is going to demonstrate the relationship between sin and redemption because those are foundational elements to uh, the discussion of ethics and how we know um, morality and how we know right and wrong, because um, while ethics is not morality, ethics um, is the application of morality. That's good. When you were talking about that, I was thinking about Richard Swinburne, who is a, a philosophy of religion specialist. Don't agree with a lot of his theology, but he does have some good things on apologetics. Swinburne talks about God as the maximally greatest being. And as you were describing the contrast between human nature and God, Ben, I was like, he's the maximally greatest ethicist, and we are not. So in this chapter, uh, four lines really, as you say, he kind of outlines two primary categories, which are sin and redemption. I think it's helpful as we get into this discussion on, remember to our listener that we're continuing our discussion of the theological foundation for Christian or biblical ethics. And what Four Lines is getting at is that we can't form an ethical system outside of a solid worldview, which Four Lines is arguing, you know, is built and established on the truth of God's Word. So, Ben, as we jump in today, I think it's helpful to reflect on the two different ways that Four Lines actually describes the way that people uh, refer to sin. So I'll start first here by, by giving those two, and then we'll reflect on them together. Forlund says that sin has has either been defined as, quote, a willful transgression of a known law of God or the known will of God. That's definition one, a willful transgression of a known law. 
Definition two that Four Lines lists is any failure to obey the known will of God and any failure to conform to the holy nature of God, whether known or unknown. So you can see there's some very important differences between those definitions. Ben, what do you think are uh, like some of the main things that stand out to you from those two definitions from page 23? Well, I think it's interesting um, that four lines kind of includes everybody in these definitions, doesn't he? Um, Not everybody knows the will of God. Um, Though I think it's arguable that everybody does know the law of God. Um, because, uh, like, um, Paul tells us God has written his law on our hearts in Romans. He tells us this. Um, so while God's law is written on our hearts, those who do not know God do not know where that law comes from or, um, maybe how it got there. Um, but what they do know is that, um, there are certain things that are just, um, are wrong. And there are some things that are just ethically um, immoral. And uh, so even when somebody who does not know God lies or steals or kills, um, they still feel um, ashamed to use a good Genesis three word. Um, they, they, They feel ashamed for their actions because they know that they have done something that goes against the universal um, ethical norms. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes a lot about this in Mere Christianity, um, where he talks about that it's not just that God has given us his law, but that this is the law. Of, Lewis calls it the law of human nature. is because we know um, that when someone is unfair to us, we know it's unfair. And so I think I think four lines here is mentioning the same same type of thing. Yeah. And you mentioned Lewis and I, I so appreciate his work there, mere Christianity. You know, even though we're focusing on four lines here, the connection between the two is that the universality of doctrinal truth. I think that both of them are getting at that. And as it relates to sin. Um, as you were saying, that there there is right and wrong, regardless of where you're from and what your family background is. Uh, there is an understanding. There is an understanding of what it means to to what right and wrong is, and I think that's part of being made in God's image. We talked a little bit about that um, the other day. So one of the things that Fourline says that is really key to this understanding sin is. It is our conclusion that God looks at anything that is incompatible with his holy nature as sin. We must do the same. How we define sin is important to understanding ethics because, uh, as you pointed out, the relationship between morals and ethics. Morals and ethics talking about um, you've got ideals and then you've got reality. And I think anything that is incompatible with his holy nature, man, that's a broad category. But I think Four Lines is mentioning this because that's where it is. It is it is unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is sin. And it is because of our natural unrighteousness that we need Christ to redeem us and the Holy Spirit to teach us how 
to actually become more compatible as we become more like Christ, which is a lifelong journey of sanctification. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think this is a good conversation where um, we can, we can talk about how if um, any moral law giver, um, because ethics and morals are like first cousins, right? Um, Like the, Again, morals is the 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 idea of right and wrong, where we the source of right and wrong. Ethics is the application of that right and wrong, and um, so there's certain situations where um, you have to apply ethics in order to get moral in order to understand morality. Maybe is a good way to say that. Um, but if you think about this, if a moral law give, if the moral lawgiver is in fact a human being like we are, imperfect, sin, sinful, um, is not always um, selfless, is not always um, looking for the good, is not always um, you know holy, um, then then this moral law that we have will not be that way either. And so um, again, like like four lines makes this case in in the first chapter. Again, I keep referring to Lewis here because mere Christianity is just second to none when it comes to this stuff. Um, but but Lewis, um, you know, calls calls God the moral law giver. And Lewis, what Lewis says here is that um, there has to be someone that's outside of humanity to give us a moral law. Otherwise, um, like like we don't have a universal moral law. It has to be so, someone outside of the universe. Someone. Um, that is sovereign over all things. Um, and so if that's the case, then, then what we have is that when we break this moral law, we're going against that sovereign's standard. Um, and so you, you, uh, you, you kind of deflect blame when the moral law given is not given from a universal sovereign. Yeah, that's important. You mentioned the thing about having an external source. I was thinking about why we actually need an external source of righteousness, Ben, and morals. It's because of total depravity. Yeah. Because because Calvin said our hearts are idol-making factories. So mm-hmm. we we actually have seen the failure of secularism. We've seen the failure failure of the secular humanist experience that tries to deny God and the reality of religion. Postmodernism. Yeah, exactly. And it's totally failed. And so the reason why we need an external source being divine, and that's really what I think is really cool about the Trinity and especially of the second person. He is transcendent, but he's also imminent brother. He, he draws near to us, but we need this outside source because if we're left to our own devices, we don't choose the good so many times. Right. Well, we might think we choose the good, but we're going to selfishly choose the good that we think is best for us. But when you have a, a universal law that is given by someone outside of sinful humanity, you don't just have the best for you, but you have the best for humanity and you have the best for human flourishing. And I think that's what Four Lines is getting at here. Um, think about what he says um, on page 26. He says, as a rule, before a person sins, he first tries to convince himself that it is not a sin. If this should fail, he tries to diminish its seriousness. Do we see that in our culture today? 
Yeah, man. And if I could go a step further, I see it in my own heart. Uh, well, I, I read that and I felt, I mean, I not convicted, I, I guess, because I don't have any unconfessed sin. God has brought people into my life for accountability and things. But I was just thinking about that and I was, I was really, it resonated with me in, in a convicting way. Uh, because we do, man, we try to convince ourselves that like, oh, like it's not really that big of a deal. Um, but that's why we need the outside source. That's why we need special revelation. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why mm-hmm. we need other believers in Christian community. Um, it's because we naturally have an attitude of unbelief. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we need the gospel. Because, you know, Amen. At, Amen. at the end of the day, like we we need something um, outside of us, not just to show us that we're wrong, but to save us as well. And so, um, and, that, and that's the thing, like, we try to teach our kids, like, and like, I, you know, we were all taught, taught this in school, like, don't tell the white lie. Because if you tell the white lie, you're going to think it's okay. And it, it, it works. You're going to think it's okay. But eventually lies get found out. And it may start small, but it's going to snowball into something much more than you. Your sins okay. shall find you out. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's what we're getting here is that when we <clears throat> when we look at sin, when we look at ethics, what we are figuring out is that. Um, well, let me just refer to what Forlan says that he says a meaningful study of ethics can be made only by those who face up to the seriousness of sin. And 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 four lines isn't um, bashing someone who may not have a serious view of sin, but what he is saying is that in order to have a proper view of ethics, in order to have a biblical view of ethics, in order to understand ethics in the way that God meant for us to understand it, we have to understand first who God is and who we are. Facing the seriousness of our sin. So the biblical understanding of sin is vital to understanding and developing an ethic that conforms to God's word and ultimately then reflects Christ to the world. But we really need the second half of the chapter to give us some clarity because without the second half, the first half just kind of makes us feel hopeless. So the second half is where Four Lines begins to talk about redemption. I want to share with our listeners what he says as a definition. I think this definition of redemption is holistic. And what Fourline says is redemption is the work of God that delivers man or humanity from the wrath of God and reclaims and restores him from the destructive power of sin, pages 29 30. So salvation is not merely a get out of hell free card it is actual real deliverance and and that's not fully realized ben until jesus christ returns and yet there is so much truth what four lines is saying here about rescued and restored restored from the destructive power of sin it reminds me of what paul says in romans 6 about baptism and ultimately we recognize the tension between the now and the not yet and how we're not fully delivered. We still live in a sinful world, but yet as we grow in the Christian walk, we, we should become more and more restored day by day. 
Yeah, yeah, it, that's so true that um, I, I think this is under like a good point for us to say too that like um, this understanding is progressive in one sense. Um, there's just certain things that ta- are going to take in the Christian faith that are going to take you a lot of time to try to, to kind of navigate and to understand when it comes to the Christian faith. Um <clears throat> You have to think that, um, you know, the, the drug addicts um, view of, of ethics and, and decision making and sin and redemption um, are probably going to be a lot different than um, the person who was raised in church, um, understands a lot of law, if you will, um, because I, and I've seen this I've seen this quite a bit, I think that. What happens is when you have someone saved out of some sort of substance abuse or addiction, what ends up happening is is they go to the opposite ex- extreme. That like we you know we're going to go like cut and dry. We're going to go as as far as we can <clears throat> to um you know to avoid sinful habits and 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 avoid sinful choices. Whereas a lot of times when when those who understand the sin and understand these things, we kind of come back to what Fourline said earlier, um, that we try to diminish the seriousness of it. Absolutely. I appreciate you talking about the way in which different people, their approach to Christ and, and even living out the Christian life through the process of sanctification um, the difference in someone who's been in church their whole life and and someone who struggled with addiction, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a strong bifurcation. There could be a person who grew up in church and actually struggled with sin and come out of it, you know, like the prodigal son story or something. Um, but I, I was thinking about to whom much is given, much is required. And the way that someone who is truly forgiven relates to Jesus might be different than someone who thinks they have it all together. Um, by the way, none of us do. And as we're talking about ethics and redemption, what we're trying to emphasize in this part of our conversation is that knowing Jesus impacts every level of your humanity. Um, just like we think with our minds, feel with our heart, act with our will, as you know Jesus and grow in relationship with him, those things are going to change too. So the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act toward others, the way we have interpersonal relationships, the way we do life in the local church, Ben, yeah. uh, there are some things that just are not okay as we get more uh, mature and grow in Christ. So we, we have to think about the blood of Jesus. Uh, you know, we used to sing the song, the blood of Jesus uh, will never lose its power and that's what we want to focus on as we look at a world of brokenness, as we look at a world with war in the Middle East, as we look at a war with political chaos and, and violence. And just today, on the day of this recording, there's an area school that had an active shooter threat in my area. It ended up being false and, and not real by, by God's grace. But as I think about that and I think about ethics, Ben, I think wow, we, maybe that's the problem with the church in America today. You know, everybody wants to talk about the problem and there's probably more layers to that. But, (laughs) but I think one problem in the American church is that we have so compromised our witness that 
we've kind of found ourselves in the struggle between legalism and what the old people used to call licentiousness, which is just doing whatever you want. And I think what the church is being called to, if we're going to experience revival today, Ben, we're going to have to recognize the connection between our, our being redeemed and our ethics. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need both law and gospel, don't we? We we really do. We really do because it's and, and Paul tells us this again in Romans. I feel like I'm talking more about Paul and C.S. Lewis than I am Leroy Fourlines today. But um, but Paul tells us in Romans that it's the law that is the revealer of our sin. It's the one it, it's the element in this life that is given to us to reveal to us who we really are as people. And when we look at the law and we try to try to complete the 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 613 laws of the Old Testament, and we realize that we're not satisfactorily completing these laws or fulfilling these laws, we realize that, oh, if, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lawbreaker. We are, we are in fact, um, lawbreakers. And, and that's important for us to remember um, when we get to the discussion of ethics is because um, in order for us lawbreakers to be able to um, do any good at all or to satisfy this law, it has to be from someone outside of us as well, which brings us to the conversation of atonement, which is redemption, right? Is because in order for, um, for man to be made right, um, Anselm of Canterbury um, explains this. It has to be someone who is the person satisfying God's wrath has to be both God and man. It has to be man because if, if the person is not man, then, then humanity is still not saved. Um, but it also has to be God because if the person, of, if person is not God, then um, God's requirements and standards are not met. So you're talking about the atonement and really the the Hebrew Bible understanding of Goel, kinsman redeemer, which we identify as Jesus Christ. Um, And so the atonement that you're describing, it actually meets two needs that we have uh, by nature of being sinners, by nature of, of being redeemed sinners. The atonement of Jesus, his sacrificial work on Calvary and resurrection So the atonement meets two needs, the need for absolute righteousness, which we don't meet, and the resolve for the penalty of being under sin. So we understand that we're all sinners, but we have to recognize that Christ has paid the penalty, and that has implications on how we live our lives today. Yeah, it does. It does, for sure. Um, Because if if we don't understand the atonement, then I think we get to what Four Lines was saying at the beginning of the chapter. We don't understand the seriousness of sin. Sin leads to death, not just physical death, not just physical death, but also spiritual death. Um, so it was spiritual death first in the garden. Sin led to spiritual death, but not too many years after it led to physical death. Um, in fact, not too long after when Cain kills Abel, right? And not only was that the first sin, but that's the first death. And it's no coincidence that what 
um, it seems that what God is trying to tell us is that sin is both physically killing and spiritually killing. Yeah, I think there's even application for our listeners, Ben, on a on a hyperbolic or sermonic way. Um, Every time we sin, something dies, whether it's relationships, whether it's intimacy with God, intimacy with your spouse. Um, there is something that dies and what happens with the gospel. And when the atonement is applied to a person is actually life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the way to a fuller life is, is by killing our flesh. You remember what the Puritans said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So every time, absolutely. And every time we sin, something dies. Paul tells us, Romans, again, to bring up what you mentioned, the wages of sin is death. And I think that has a two-fold implication, Ben. Death in the state of, if you don't repent and trust Christ, there is the judgment death coming. And there's physical death that all humans will go through, but then there's that, that second part of it, which unbelievers will go through. Then when you think about, the other side of the verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that life is not just a fairy tale about a heaven far away, but actually the quality of life that we live on earth as we live, as John Stott said, between two worlds. The reality is that Jesus is making things new. And, and this will get a little bit preachy and our time is running out here. Um, but the solution to to our problems is not at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's yeah. not at the state capitol in Arkansas or the state capitol in Indiana. It's not in Indianapolis. The power to change people and communities lies not in a welfare state uh, or anything like that. The power of change and transformation is not even in the pastor of a local church. It is in Jesus Christ changing people. And I think I would love to see something like America experienced in the first great awakening, um, where what happens is a renewed emphasis on holiness and, and the culture changes as a byproduct of the ethical transformation the individual is going through. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really what, what we, what we understand here is that if we're going to see change, if we want to see, um, the gospel work the way we know the gospel can work. We have to understand that for that to happen, it must happen from the understanding of who we are again and who God is and how God is restoring what is broken. Um, because um, like Isaiah tells us that he, he gives, he, he gives us beauty instead of ashes. He, he makes beautiful out of dirt and um but isaiah also tells us that he is making all things new and so what we are looking toward what we are looking toward in uh in our life here is the reality that uh god is not necessarily going to do that here on this earth but he will, this life more abundantly that we will live, we will live with him in eternity forever. Such such great promises. And I was going to say such great eschatological promises to throw in a $3 theology word, Ben. 
And this conversation on four lines is understanding of sin, redemption, and how that plays out in ethics. This actually reminds me of the song, Is He Worthy? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made do new? We do. And the, the, the songwriter continues on and talks about the worthiness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we are so excited that Jesus is making all things new. It may not seem like it, listener. It may not feel like it. It may not feel like your ministry context or your family is changing for the better. But we have these truths and we hold them to heart and we have faith that our God is making all things new. And he wants to start by making you new. Yeah, absolutely. And so we um, we want to um, help you, listener, understand that ethics is not just a a uh, political thing, or it's not just a a um, just sort of like this do goody type thing. But as Fourline says, ethics is at the heart and core of Christianity. It is who we are as people, um, because Christians believe not only in a right and wrong, but in in a giver who um, decides what is right and wrong. And if that's the case, then we live by the law of that giver. And so be encouraged today, dear listener, that you're not just living for yourself, but you're living for the one who has given us his law, not uh, as, uh, a, like, uh, as a swat on the hand, but as a gift um, for human flourishing. Amen. We pray that these truths continue to reach you for your good and God's glory. Until next time, we pray that you are blessed to listen.